It's episode 167 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Kathy Manson. Hello. 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 How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well also. I'm delighted to hear. I'm delighted to hear. You're part of Tea and Toast. <laughs> it sounds like I'm holding a gun to your head and forcing you to say this, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, yes, I am part of Tea and Toast Improv based in Brighton. You could get me to say anything. That seems quite an innocuous thing. If you were to hold me in that position, that seems like quite an innocuous thing to get me to say, frankly. I would I would abuse your position more if you were in that position. Yeah, yeah, I'm not doing it right, am I? Tell me about the tea and toast, the improv group in Brighton, what you are a part of. Well, what- we are a we've been together for I don't know. In fact, it's it's probably been about six or seven years. You know how the pandemic just confuses time. So it could be seven years, could be five, could be ten. I'm not quite sure. But we perform shows every couple of months in Brighton and we have a variety of different formats. We do a musical show called Blah Blah Land, ah. which is loosely, loosely based on the musical La La Land which is great. And we um, we have a variety of other formats uh, and we perform at the Actors every other month. And we're going to do the Brighton Fringe this year as well, um, which we did before COVID, which was really good fun. But we love a costume. So whatever our show is, we like to bring a costume into it. And we, yeah, we're just always trying new formats and performing shows. And we're mainly based in Brighton, but I think we're looking to perhaps go to some international festivals at some point, which would be really good. Um, I know Josh, who's in the group, is going up to Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Improv Festival. So, um, yes, at the moment we're performing in Brighton, uh, but hoping to go worldwide. <laughs> uh, so tell me, tell me about, um, tell me about La La Land. Why, why was that an inspiration for you? Well, Blah Blah Land um, was. It was a really, uh, Elena in the group just really loved the musical. And I think because it's so colourful and it's so, it's got that whole Hollywood thing and that um, dream, big dreams and it's really romantic. And I think that, because they conceived it before I arrived, but I think the thinking of it was that it's perfect for an improv musical because there's so many big emotions in it. And so you can bring in a love story if you want to, but it also can be a story about finding your way and having a journey. And uh, what we like to do is we ask the audience for a town and we've learned to ask for a town they like because otherwise we get a town they don't like. And then we have to do a musical about somewhere horrible. So we ask for a town they like and then they talk about the town and then we just bring all the elements into the show and we just do a musical based in that town. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just really good fun. And we we really work on having an opening number like in, in La La Land, which is all about the town and um, it's a bit of choreography where we can. And um, then we have a few stories intertwined, hopefully a bit of a love story in there somewhere. And then it all ends with everybody happy at the end as a good musical should. That sounds delightful. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's really good fun. We also have... Um, we do uh, uh, 
Tea and Toast at number nine, which is based on Inside Number Nine. Have you seen Inside Number Nine? I have. I don't know whether I like it. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I admire it, and I often yeah. go, wow, that was amazing. But I'm not sure it makes me feel happier about the world afterwards. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. It, it, it is very clever. It's always very well done. And, of course, our improvised version is just as clever as that. But hopefully it doesn't make you leave, doesn't, you don't leave feeling like the world's the worst place. But that's sort of a more of a creepy show, and that's not a musical show. So we tend to do that one around Halloween. Um, and we just we just set it in one place, and then people come in and out, which is really nice for improv, because you don't do that as often, do you? Just you're in one place, and then people leave. And, um, yeah, so I love that format as well that we do. And what sort of suggestion are you getting from the audience for that? We asked them to um, give us some place that could fit on the stage so um we've had uh, a lighthouse before we've had a bingo hall we had um a bakery and um we had one that was it was in iceland and it was the sort of um visitor center for one of the uh one of the geysers 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 i'm not I'm never sure which one it is geysers i'm gonna go geyser I'll go geezer. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, I mean, that I like I like that as a um, as a way of getting a suggestion. Anything that avoids asking for a non-geographical location, which yes. is one of the things I really I'm like, oh no, oh no. If that happens <laughs> while I'm watching a show, I'm like, oh no. It doesn't matter if the show. Okay, noted. Good. I'll make sure we never ask that question ever again. I well, don't know if we do, but. I just, just, I don't, I sort of, well, I sort of know what it means because I do improv, but I don't know, it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> no, it's funny, isn't it? Because I was thinking about this today in regards to my work, which I work in marketing, and we were talking about how um, when we produce case studies, they're sometimes really technical with marketing speak. And I was saying we need to make sure that anybody who reads this who's zero about marketing or SEO, whatever it is, can understand it. And I think it's the same with improv. You can kind of get so involved in something where you know all the intricacies of it, that you speak in a language that other people don't understand. And you've always got to think about, well, there's going to be people in the audience who've never seen improv before. And we've got to make it perfectly understandable to them that what we're doing, A, is made up on the spot, but be that if we're asking for something, it's easy for them to shout out answers because, of course, people are nervous as well, aren't they? So you want to, you don't want them to feel like they might get it wrong. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a tricky thing, and I'm never quite sure how much to explain to an audience or how much they'll just kind of work out by watching it. I don't know; it's a difficult one. Yes, and you must get it too, that people always ask you afterwards if they're new to improv, oh, well, you must have rehearsed some bits of that. Oh, so, but that's not all made up, was it? I mean, that you, they really, it's like a magic trick almost. They want to know, um, like, to break the magician's code and find out, oh, but there's, there's actually some trickery going on here, isn't there? And you're like, no, 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 it is all made up. I mean, obviously, there's a structure, but that's nothing to do with the content. That's just a structure that you have the content within. Yes. 
And uh, the showstoppers always talk about the elaborate theories that people that have been to see them have come up with, you know, all to do with, oh, yeah, it's just, I mean, in many ways, the way to cheat is much more complicated than the way to actually improvise it. Yes. Yeah. It's too much hard work to cheat. We just make it up. It's much easier. We just make sure we listen, listen to what the other people say or sing. And then... Just add some more stuff to that, really. I mean, yes. it is. It, it, I mean, when you remember something, if you're in a show and you remember something from the start and bringing it in at the end, I do understand why that seems like magic because it's yes. hard enough to remember things in everyday life. Never mind if you're performing a musical on stage. Oh, I know. And how good do you feel when you do? You bring something back. I always feel very pleased with myself. <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any uh, techniques, tips, or techniques for remembering stuff? Uh, no, I'm the worst person to ask this to because in everyday life, my memory's not that bad. But the minute something happens on stage, it goes in one ear and out the other. I, it's very difficult for me to remember things. I have to focus so much, particularly in Blah Blah Land, because we get quite a lot of information, if hopefully we get quite a lot of information from whoever we're talking to about the place and where they like to go out and their memories of it and all of that. So there's a lot to remember. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I just, I probably need a few techniques actually, perhaps, uh, perhaps I could do some Googling after this and find out how do I remember better on stage and not just hope that somebody else in the group remembers it. Well, it's, um, it's hard cause you're doing a lot when you're on stage, even if you're, you know, even before you're improvising and singing, just being on stage in front of the whole audience, that takes up a lot of attention. So there's very little spare brain power going left over. I know, because it, it's it, it, there's so much. We were talking about this with um, Heather, weren't we, the other week, where I was talking to her about how I'm not a big fan of going straight in with the who, what, where. And when you first start doing improv, there's so many things to remember that that it becomes kind of overwhelming and then you you hope as you become more experienced that you can kind of lose those things and it's more of a natural muscle that you've built and you can go on stage and you don't have to remember now we've got to do the who what where and we've got to um yes and everything and whatever it might be um so I'm you'd think with my experience my memory would have got better because I wouldn't be thinking but then you then other things come in don't they because then you're like well I, I want to make it more complicated I'm going to add some songs in and you think oh no how am I ever going to remember that chorus again so yes it's <laughs> memory is an ongoing issue I usually uh, remember a couple of things and that's enough isn't it yeah if you if everybody in the team remembers a couple of things that's pretty much everything that you need to remember I think yes and really, all you have to be, I always say to myself, as long as the audience has a good time and as long as the people on stage are having a good time, you've done all right. Yes. And I would say, make it that way around. Because <laughs> I've seen too many improv groups who are having a lovely time on stage, but the audience is not getting anything out of it. And uh, when I'm in the audience, I don't enjoy that. <laughs> no, I know. Yes. It's, it's a fine line, isn't it, between... I mean, I've been in improv groups before and um, there's been kind of a clash in some ways because certain people in the group think we've got to make this really artistic and then I'm there going well we have to make the audience laugh I mean it's not just about doing pratfalls and uh toilet jokes though nothing wrong with them but it 
we do have to entertain an audience. We can't just go on there, go up there and do something avant-garde and weird because that's what we want to do if it's going to bore or scare the audience. Or maybe well, you disagree. Maybe we should all be doing avant-garde performance. I, I think if the audience knows what they're in for and they've given enthusiastic consent for a weird avant-garde Brechtian improv performance, then that's fine. I really want to do a Brechtian improv now. Look, you've put that idea in my head. Mother um, Courage, I, the improvised musical. Um, Sarah Davis, a previous guest on this podcast, I attended an online workshop with her where she did a kind of, you know, Brecht from an improviser's perspective and how to improvise Brecht. And it was really interesting. So, um, well, I bet yeah. it was. That sounds really good. Just talking about remembering things, Carleen McDermott um, told me that um, a way is to imagine um, when you're watching a scene, especially from the side, is that if you see something you like or you want to remember, just imagine picking it up and imagine it being a shiny thing and putting it in your back pocket and storing it there for later. Okay, I'm going to try that. I'll report back. Yeah. I mean, different people remember things in different ways, but that's... And then... Because you've only got, I was going to say, you've only got two back pockets. If you've got more back pockets, fair enough. But most people... You could have trousers with millions of pockets. You could have you cargo could. trousers. Yeah, Yes, you could. In which case, just use the top two pockets. <laughs> or dungarees. I mean, there's, you know, you can't assume it's a two-pocket trouser. You are, you are right. Um, the, the, the trouser possibilities are greater than I had initially considered. Um, and I'd also like to say that if you're a woman, you, the pockets are much smaller, so you can barely fit anything in them. I mean, yeah, you're lucky if you've got pockets at all, frankly. Yes. So, oh, yes. You didn't realise you'd opened a pocket can of worms, did you? <laughs> um, but my original point was going to be um, that if you've only got two back pockets, you need, there's only space to remember two things, and that's probably all you need to remember. Yeah, you don't need much more than that. It's just it's just about being in the moment and being with your scene partner and connecting with them and seeing what happens. I mean, it's a lot more than that, isn't it? If that was my lesson in improv. So what you do is this. I'm off now. On you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, when you know people really well that you work with and you've worked with them for a long time, you don't have to do too many tricks, hopefully, and you can just work together and create magic. Yes. That's what that's what we're in the business. We're in the magic we're business. Creating magic. Like Paul Daniels and Debbie like McGee. Daniel, Debbie McGee. Yes. So um sorry, I'm just, I'm You're just thinking about Debbie McGee, aren't you? I, I think we all are. Debbie McGee, Ali Bongo. Who's Ali Bongo? Yeah, see, I was I was, I was worried that was a reference <laughs> we weren't gonna get. Do you mean on Bongo, the drink? No, I don't mean on Bongo the drink. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, um, Ali Bongo was a, um, a... Well, the reason I hesitated was like, shall I mention Ali Bongo or shall I not? And now I'm regretting it. But I will carry on just to get to the end of it. He was a, like another magician that was on the Paul Daniels show. Was he? Yeah. Somewhere in the world, Ali Bongo's just gone, oh, my God, I can sense it. Someone's mentioned my name. <laughs> At last. Unless, unless I've entirely misremembered, in which case it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Apologies to the Bongo family, if so. <laughs> um so you've mentioned uh you've mentioned blah blah land and you've mentioned um the inside number nine um format yes you hinted there were other tea and toast formats that you do yes we do we have a few we have um we like to have an improv format for any occasion so <laughs> from, 
Is that, is that the tagline on the website? An informal format for any occasion. For any occasion. Like an after eight mint, you know, you just can enjoy it at any dinner. But uh, I don't think that <laughs> was after all. eight. I would yeah. say that an after eight mint is a, is a bad example. Quite specific, isn't it? After yes, eight. It yeah. I mean, you can have them at any time. But I would say that's not how they're designed. No, they're an after dinner mint. It was the worst example I could have thought of, really. Anyway, I think, we, I think we understood your point without yes. the illustrative example. But yeah, right. sorry about that. I went over the top with the metaphor. <laughs> oh, well, it was a simile because there were, anyway. Um, yes. uh, we have, so sometimes you just want a really short, snappy format, don't you? Yes. And for that we have, so for example, we've supported the May Days at Comedia a couple of times and you get half an hour and you, and you think, well, the audience is there to see the May Days. They don't want us going to, into our avant-garde, weird format that uh, we do obviously do all the time, where we just walk around and look at each other and then collapse at the end. So um, <laughs> I quite like that idea of that. But as I say, you know, know your audience. We, so we have Teen Toast mixtape mix where we um, ask the audience to write down their favourite songs. And then we just pull them out of the hat and we do improvised scenes inspired by their favorite songs and we were trying to make it work so that we could play the songs mm. but that was that was very difficult because if you want to play a song you want a song in the middle and plus you've got to get them onto spotify somehow in two seconds flat once they've been anyway so we're trying to get some music involved in that one as well but it's 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 complicated and we also have the museum of relationships which um is just a format about uh, relationships. <laughs> I need that, isn't it? Um, it's about relationship, romantic relationships in various stages. So we see um, three sets of relationships and we just see sort of slices of life and they can be in whatever stage of the relationship they are in. Um, and... Uh, is that we're we're working on a new format as well, which is about villains, which I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. But they're they're bad people. I don't know if we want to have stories about them. Well, that's the that's the twist, isn't it? They're not normally the protagonist. My mind is blown. Your mind is blown. What would happen if the villain was no? Isn't that the plot of Wicked? Yes. I think the villain is the main star in Wicked. And did you ever watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Yes. It's a story about being the villain in my own story. Yeah, when she suddenly realises it's her, yeah. <laughs> so we're working on that form, because I love, love playing villains. It's one of my favourite things. I know. Stage is to be really horrible. <laughs> we just, yes. We recently did a scene where I was really quite horrible. No, you were, you were delightful, but you were horrible as... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that, shall we? Um, so uh, we recently attended um, Heather and Jules, or uh, and also Improv, as we must refer to yes. them now. Uh, they're not just flatmates and meet cutes um, weekend, which yeah. was amazing. It was brilliant. And actually, we were talking about Blah Blah Land, and Blah Blah Land really works best if there is a love story in there, and it's such a good. It's such it's something that you don't really think about until you go to an intimacy workshop or until you're in a group where 
you're thinking, well, there should be a love story here, but we're we're not intimate with each other. We're just people who work together or friends. So how do you have a love story that doesn't look awkward or, and then how, is it okay to hold hands? Is it okay to, to, to hug or whatever it is? So that's why the intimacy workshop was so great because it's about working towards being much more comfortable being close with someone, even though you're just working together, there's nothing going on there. But, um, I think it's going to be really helpful for me. To, I'm going to work with my group next week on it just to be able to hopefully be able to feel closer and to be able to bring that love story element in and make it realistic. Because we want it to be funny, but you also want it to be emotional as well and you also want people to believe in it. And if you're you're like, oh, I love you, and you're standing six feet apart, it just looks it looks awkward. You need to be able to have that be, be comfortable I mean, it is possible, I think, to do a scene where people are standing six feet apart and saying, I love you, but it needs to be a deliberate choice. It needs yes. to be, there's a reason why we're standing so far apart, not because we haven't had a conversation about how we feel about Boundaries. holding things. Yes. So, yes, yeah, so you and I did a scene, didn't we, where we were a couple, and I was uh, telling you that I wanted to move to New York. No, that I was going to move. I was moving to New York. Yes. And you were like, great, I can't wait to go. And I, I had to say, you're not coming. <laughs> and then Jules just got you to list all the things that you were going to see in America, yeah. uh, see in New York. I know. And that's that's like we were saying, when you have to, when you're put on the spot to remember a list, it's impossible. I would. I just. I could. I just kept listing airport names because I couldn't remember anything else in New York. And it's New York. Yellow taxis. Uh, JFK Airport. That's about all I could come up with. And then I believe. Uh, I believe you ended up singing a song uh, as you left. So that was uh, particularly hurtful. <laughs> I did. I was so delighted. I was singing New York, New York, as I ditch you. Yes. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, and. It, <laughs> It, it was just, it was really interesting in that workshop about having, just having that conversation. So the, the, for me, there were two sides of it. One was having a conversation before you perform and just, you know, discussing what what was, you know, on the table. And actually, you know, people might think if you're talking about boundaries, that means you get to do less, but actually you get to do more because you actually know what is, you know, acceptable for people and, yeah. and what they're comfortable doing. Um, and then there's also negotiating that in the moment and things like that. And just, you know, being very clear, well, asking, you know, asking, you know, can we hug? And if that person declines, then that's just another choice. And that can that can play into a scene as well. So all that stuff I found fascinating. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Because because then there's not there's no there's not you're not doing anything wrong. Whatever, whatever you decide to do in the moment it's just a choice and and it and it dictates how the rest of the scene goes someone like you say if someone says can i hug you and you say no then that's an interesting scene if someone says can i hug you and you say yes then it goes on from there as well and it's also an interesting scene i should have said that for both of them <laughs> the and hug will fill the scene we hope uh, it is just interesting seeing a scene start with physical contact because there was a, another scene uh, that you did with damien where you were sat back to back and talking, you were talking about um, Beauty and the Beauty Beast. Beauty and the Beast. 
and it was just amazing. And you turned out you were siblings, and the it seemed that you were talking about Beauty and the Beast, but actually you ended up talking about your relationship and your relationship with your mother. And yes. I just thought that was just beautiful. Yeah, it was, and it, it it's it just. I mean, Heather and Jules talked about it, didn't they? That just starting from a place where you're in physical contact with someone, one, you already established that you're close in some way. So you don't have to go into the who, what, where's as much, which as we know, I'm not a fan of. And also it's less likely to go to conflict because you're you're close and you're sitting in a close in a way that's close and loving as opposed to just standing or sitting side by side at places that are much more easily going to lead to conflict, which is not really what you want, or at least not all of the time. Yeah, I'm I'm always just for playing people who are just, like, happy to be in each other's company. Yeah. And I, it, seems, it seems strange that that... Is it because it's more intimate? Do people feel more comfortable fighting because then there's distance between the characters? That's a good question. And if we're going to go even deeper, because I love I love analysing this stuff. My friend who's a therapist, she came along to one of our shows and she said that, I can't remember the phrase she used, but she thinks that improv is, is almost a type of, what, what people say in improv is, can be quite revealing about who they are. And I wonder if... Because I, I, I was examining why I love playing a villain so much. And is it because I've never that forthright and demanding in real life? So on stage, I'm able to play a part of somebody who is completely different to me. And then it's kind of satisfying to be able to do that. It feels good to be able to try on a different personality as somebody else. And maybe that's with the conflict. People are sort of... Um, playing out some feelings they're having in real life as well. But I yeah. think you're right. I think it's also because it's much easier to do conflict because it is less intimate. Yeah, I um, I also enjoy playing villains because I rarely do that in improv and indeed rarely do that in real life. So it's, but once again, it comes down to, it comes down to boundaries and it comes down to knowing the person that you're being mean to yes, and, you know, making sure that they, you know, that they're okay about it because, you know, um, I'm conscious of being a man and playing those kind of roles and feel quite uncomfortable about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally understandable. It is much easier for me as a woman and somebody who's not very tall to be able to play roles like that because I would imagine I'm less intimidating. I mean, you can ask people I know, maybe I'm <laughs> really intimidating <laughs> in real life. Who knows? But yes, you're right. I, there's so many things to manoeuvre and negotiate because I love playing a villain because hopefully it won't be intimidating for people, but maybe for, for, for when tall men are doing it, it is intimidating. So all these things need to be thought about. And and of course, if you're working with someone that you know really well, then they probably or perhaps wouldn't feel as intimidated. So you would have more freedom to perhaps do that, knowing that they'd be okay with it. Yeah, so it's, but yeah, it's, 
it's 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 yeah something that needs to be negotiated and it needs to be talked about um maybe even more so than you know the the physical proximity yeah it's interesting it was i mean the workshop was if you ever get a chance listeners it was brilliant i highly recommend it it's, it's so in real life as well to just be able to be to not feel um nervous about being close to people or I just think it's really valuable in all areas of life to be able to feel comfortable and close to people in that way. Yes, and to be aware in the moment of how other people react to touch. And, yeah. I, you know, I do think we are, you know, touch-starved in modern society. And, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a really interesting subject. I mm. have no great conclusions. <laughs> no, no, no. But we the only thing we can cl- conclude is that it was a fantastic workshop. It was a fantastic workshop. We had a great movie. time. Yes, and yeah, asking some really interesting questions. So I would yeah, thoroughly recommend that. And uh, my red kidney bean and pineapple curry is delicious, but never mind. <laughs> I'm still not convinced. I'm not convinced at all. I thought you were. I thought you were making up a curry, and then it turned out. And, and in the scene, I was saying how disgusting it sounded, and of course, uh, it was real. So then I had to feel really bad. I mean, uh, it's in Jack Monroe's thrifty kitchen. Um, oh, I'm being shown the evidence now. Look. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, um, so, but that that's, that that was a, a fun thing of just. Um, you know, bringing something in from real life and then seeing how that played out. And maybe I won't mention that to other people now. <laughs> no, don't don't let my uh, sneering at your curry put you off. Other <laughs> people will love it. But I'll tell you what else that workshop was so good at highlighting was how little you need um, to make a really interesting scene because we most of the time we were talking about just everyday things like your pineapple and kitten bean curry. Um, and... It was it was so interesting. We were all leaning in to listen to these conversations. You don't need to throw all this stuff in. It can just be quite simple. Yes, I don't know who originated the advice that we should dig one 30-foot hole rather than 10 three-foot holes. Yes. Yes, and I remember the main advice, some of the main advice, well, some of the main advice we got from Jules and Heather was uh, act less, which... Apparently, I've is a note I've received many times before and not taken any notice of. So, anyway, um, yeah, yeah, you don't need to. Well, sometimes you need to do a bit of acting, but yes, act less. It was just, it was really great. It was really nice to to go into naturalism in improv and and not um, big performance. Uh, though I do also really love melodrama, and I was saying to you, wasn't I earlier that I was in Unbridled, the Jilly Cooper improv? So it's not like I'm going for naturalism all the time. Tell me about what it was like to be an unbridled, the Jimmy Cooper uh, <laughs> show. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. It was uh, the most ridiculous <laughs> and silly uh, experience I've ever had, but in the most wonderful way. So it, it was kind of like, how can we make this even sillier at every turn? So we'd start off... Um, the show with the black beauty music and then we'd all come on one by one and we were all in joggers obviously in boots and um i had a sort of padded waistcoat you know one of I those mean, um, 
You say obviously, but I don't think that is an obvious thing to do. I mean, it I know you're doing it. It's obvious to me. We, yeah, well, we're okay. obviously a jumpers. And uh, yeah, we'd come on one by one and then just sort of pose. And then um, we'd get one of the audience to turn on a leaf blower and <laughs> blow our hair so that it all blew around. And we did one online show, and obviously we when it was, uh, during the pandemic, and uh, we just got our hair dryers out, and in our individual boxes, we were just doing our own wind machine with these hair dryers on on Zoom. And then yes, it was just great. It was because it was, and in fact, Heather and I were talking about this at the workshop that it was the opposite of intimacy almost. Because obviously, on Ginny Cooper novels are about sex, um, but there was nothing romantic in what we did it was just the silliest version of um how you get into a romantic scene with someone the most ridiculous things you can say like finding objects really attractive and and sort of using them to it, it was just crazy and then as soon as it started getting a bit like okay this could be about to be a kiss or something the lights would go down and then we'd come up the lights would come up and we'd be smoking so <laughs> <laughs> It was that's how we got out of any kind of intimacy. But it was just it was really, really good fun. Um, we did get a legal letter from Ginny Cooper's people, I think. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. We couldn't mention that it was based on Ginny Cooper. But now the truth, however many years. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I hope Ginny's not listening. They'll never catch on. They'll never catch on. Such a fun experience and very dark. And And... Were you familiar with Judy Cooper's work before the show, or did you have to catch up? Well, I have. T I realised the other day I've got not one but two copies of Riders. Wow! Yeah, you've got a spare. I've got a spare copy of. So if you want one, I'll send it to you. <laughs> but yeah, I for whatever reason I loved Judy Cooper books when I was a teenager. Pro well, probably for obvious reasons. Oh yes. <laughs> you know, this was pre-internet. You had to get your. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting stories wherever you go. <laughs> somewhere. So yeah, I was a massive fan, and in fact, out of all the group, I was probably the one that knew Jilly Cooper the most. So I was kind of the Jilly Cooper uh, encyclopedia, <laughs> and I brought in copies of my. In fact, they, most of them, I've lost most of them. I don't know how I've ended up with two riders because most of them have disappeared. They're probably in the old nursery building somewhere. But yeah, <laughs> so I was the Jilly Cooper expert or sexpert, I should say. Uh, so oh, there's it's a wild work guy, so it's hard to remember. But I don't know what sort of questions would you get? It's just like what would you? I don't know. What would they come to you to find out? Um, I guess uh, what well, I can't really remember, but I suppose it would be about tone and about um, the sort of plots that would happen. And I can't. I'm not sure. I mean. Jilly Cooper is is fairly formulaic. As long as you throw in a few horses, uh, you throw in an a, an affair, but and a true love story, and they're all upper class, then you've pretty much got a Jilly Cooper novel right there. But of course, it wasn't based on Jilly Cooper. It just no. happened to be set in the world of show jumping. Yes, yes. <laughs> For legal reasons. For legal reasons, it was nothing to do with Jilly Cooper even though we read all the books and talked about it all the time, but nothing to do with it. Please, can you teach me 
a improv game or exercise that either you have made up or adapted or that you just really love? Okay, so as I told you earlier, I had to crowdsource from the rest of Tea and Toast because I, I'm really bad at remembering improv games. So whenever it's my turn to lead the group, I'm always just Googling improv game, whatever the theme is. And I always seem to end up on the improv subreddit. So I'm just there going, looking through all these random improv posts. So Simon in the group reminded me that for our format Museum of Relationships, when we last did it, we decided we wanted to make it um, an experience from start to finish. So obviously, normally before an improv show, you come on and you go, hi, we're Tea and Toast, and this is our show, and who's seen improv before, and this is all made up. So we were like, we're not going to do any of that. We're just going to, as we walk on stage, we're already going to be in the format. <clears throat> yes, love it. So, so it was a museum. So Simon dressed up as uh, the curator, and then the, other, the rest of us were dressed as tourists. And so he'd take us around this museum, uh, and then this was for a show where only three of us were able to be in it, so we had to do a lot of running around and manoeuvring for this. But he'd go, and here we have exhibit um, A, uh, and then we'd two of us would get into a pose, and then he'd name what it was, and then we'd do a short scene based on that. So this is what we've invented. It's basically a museum where you pose... Somebody gives you a title and then you do a short scene with that. And it's really good fun. That, that sounds that sounds fantastic. And I also I love I think I think I think my problem is I've seen too much improv. That's my possibly my problem. So anytime a group comes on and they don't all run on happy and enthusiastic and go, hi, we're such and such. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay. They've thought about this, and there's just like a little bit of I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. It just reassures me that I'm going to have maybe a different experience from the cliched one. Well, if you ask Tea and Toast, they'll probably tell you that I'm obsessed with two things. One of which is the intro, because I think the intro sets everything up. And you want the audience to know that they're absolutely in safe hands, that you know what you're doing and you're confident and my biggest bugbear is when people come on and they go, we're going to do a show. It might be all right. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to do a show and it's going to be brilliant and you're going to love it. I think it's just so important because I, I know some people when watching improv can feel a little bit nervous because they, they're like, oh, no, they're, they're making it up. This is going to be so awkward. So if you come on stage and you're awkward and you go, it might be a bit shit this, then the audience isn't going to have, I think, the confidence. So, yes, I'm obsessed with getting that right and keeping it really short. So we mm. practice that over and over and over again. So even when we're not doing museum and we are doing an intro, we make sure we practice it. And the other thing is stage picture, particularly for our musical. I'm always like, stop going to the front. I want people in interesting places on the stage and I want it to look like a really nice stage picture all the time. I want us to use the whole stage, and I want it to be really theatrical. So they're my two annoying obsessions. <laughs> no, I, th I think those are two very important things to think about. And anything that gets, yeah, as you say, reassures the audience, oh, this is going to be fine, is brilliant. And also, yeah, just use the stage. If you've got a stage where it's big enough that you can stand in interesting positions at different levels, yeah, please do. We don't always have a stage where we can do that. But, no. You know, yeah, definitely. 
No, I mean, luckily at the Actors, where we do our shows, the stage is really quite big. So we can do that and we're, we have a proper stage. So we've got this space, so let's let's use it. Uh, I just, I don't really like anything that's self-deprecating in, in, in that way because I just think there's a place for self-deprecation. I don't have a problem with it. I am English after all. But... Um, <laughs> I, I just don't. I just. I don't. I don't like it when somebody comes on and says, "You've paid to see our show, and uh, we're not sure how good it's going to be." That's a real. Um, I don't enjoy that. No, no, no. Neither do I. Confidence. Confidence. Uh, but something I do enjoy is the Claptrap Podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, speaking of uh, not talking too much, that's something where we do talk too much. Yes, my friend Shiv and I have a podcast called Claptrap. We've been doing it for years, Claptrap Podcast. And um, it's just us waffling on. And, you know, both Shiv and I are in marketing and we've been to many a talk about podcasts and how they're the genre of the future and how you can get more listeners. And it's always, you need a theme, you need a really strong theme and you need to do all this social media. And um, we still just end up waffling on. At one point, we did a whole series on kids' TV. So we we sort of watched an episode of Rainbow and talked about it. So if you are going to listen to Claptrap from start to finish, which I'm sure everybody will, which you'll, I'm, get I'm waffle, you'll get some kids' TV stuff and then it'll be more waffle. I mean, I love it. I love it uh, for various reasons. It's very funny. It's also just really lovely to hear two friends talking. Um, <laughs> And it strikes me as it's like it's most podcasts, as you say, have a theme or a subject. But yes. you get that bit at the beginning where the, the you know, the, the, the hosts just sort of chat for a bit and then they'll get into the true crime thing or something like that. But you've just skipped the whole main bit. And you've just done the intro bit. I love it. Yes. Yeah. It's um, it's really enjoyable for us, um, and uh, I don't know if we'll be getting any Squarespace ads anytime soon, but <laughs> <laughs> we enjoy it, and we try and make it funny, and somebody asked me, actually, my friend said, so how much of it is scripted? And again, I'm like, you have listened to it. Did you really think this was scripted? I mean, that's um, very kind of you, but it's clearly not scripted. <laughs> I mean, you're very good, uh, very good actors to perform that sort of scripted material. Um, what, what, happened with, what happened to episode one? I find it confusing. I have to start with that because when I listen to a podcast, I need to start at the beginning. So I'm currently listening to it back in 2016. But what happened to episode one? Why did you, why did you start with episode I'm two? I'm so sorry about episode one. Episode one is lost forever. We don't know what happened. It did exist. <laughs> I cannot remember what it was about. But it did exist and then it disappeared. So now episode two is episode one. And perhaps we should change it so that we don't upset people if they do want to listen from the beginning. It made that episode one. But yeah, episode one is somewhere with Lord Lucan in the Bermuda Triangle. What what could have been? I think I think renumbering the podcasts would be lead to greater confusion. So it's fine. I don't say if anybody is going to listen from the start, and I do recommend it, you can start with episode two. You can pick up the story arc. It, it's fine. <laughs> yes. Not like you missed loads of really important info in episode one. Or maybe you did. That's where we revealed that we weren't actually Shiv and Kathy. We were two secret agents in disguise or something. But yes, the, you, you can start on episode two and you'll be just fine. I mean, you could probably, no, you should listen to them in order. I was going to say you can listen to them in any order. Don't be crazy. Listen to, uh, listen to them in order from the beginning as, yeah, as close yeah. as you can. 
<laughs> and cool. Okay, so two big final questions. Yes. What if someone stepped on stage with you? Could they do to delight you? Um, I love it when somebody is a character with some sort of weird movement. Just something really unexpected like that. I, I love it when it's some sort of weird character you're not expecting at all. I also particularly love it when they're an object, a talking object. So that would delight me. Um, I think we do we do so much talking that when somebody suddenly is just this completely different um, being from themselves and from anything you've ever seen before, that would delight me, I think. Yeah, I love, um, yeah, just... I love um, movement as a way into character because I just think it takes us to different characters than we would normally play if we yes. were just with our heads. Yeah, I agree. And I don't do it enough, actually. But, yeah, you just one small movement can just inform so much, can't it, of a character? Yes. And what's your signature move? What's the move you make when you need to save the day to bring the house down? That has everyone crying out, classic Kathy. <laughs> Probably villain. Probably some sort of hideously sadistic um, character that comes on. And uh, I remember I got booed once. I was that villainous. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it, we, we, were, we were doing, so when I, we did Blah Blah Land at the Fringe in, I think it was 2019. And I played this character um, who was married to Simon in our group, and he needed a transplant. And you know how Jules and Heather were saying, if it's a yes or no question, you just answer yes or no. So I was married to this man, and he said, please, I'm going to die, will you give me your kidney? And I said, no. And then the villainy, <laughs> the villainy went on from there, and it was so bad that the audience actually started booing me. Um, and uh, uh, there was a slight moment where I thought, Oh, this! Oh, they're booing me. They don't like me. And then I thought, no, 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 no. This is great. This is Panto. So I upped the villainry. So yeah, it would probably be coming on as some sort of villain. Would be yeah, classic Kathy. There she goes again. High status villain. I uh, I love that. Any, I mean, obviously getting laughs is great. But any other kind of verbal reaction from the audience, like if they go ooh or you know they kind a of gasp, a gasp. Uh, but I've never been booed. That's something for me to aim for. <laughs> I've been booed. Yeah. Booed at the Warren. Not everyone can say that they have they have done that. Well, that means I only have one last thing to say, and that's thanks for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been absolutely lovely. I've enjoyed chatting improv as ever. <laughs> I made this. That's improv! <laughs>